prone to wander. <clears throat> I think that's our, our tendency is to wander, and that's why it's even more important to gather together um, frequently, uh, regularly, deliberately, and um, come and be um, and come together in corporate worship, in the study of God's word, uh, and just fellowship. Uh, I think it's uh, absolutely vital, and it's uh, it's something that God tells us that we are to do. Um, this evening, we're going to continue our study through the book of Esther, <clears throat> and um, just as we're turning there, uh, this week has has been a full week in the in the sense to where it's just a continuation from last week. So last week, the missions conference, uh, CCA, Calvary Chapel Association, uh, this was the first year that they put on the missions conference, and that was at Calvary Chapel Golden Springs, which is in Diamond Bar. And so we had an opportunity to go out there and, uh, and just listen from some of the missionaries from around the world. I <clears throat> uh, got to meet some, some great people, uh, become friends with them, and we exchanged information. And so, uh, like uh, Corey Kilgis, he's uh, the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Trujillo, which is just about 30 minutes north or so of Lima, Peru, um, and then met uh, another brother, his name is Luis, which, who, who is the senior pastor of um, a church in Guatemala, and then another one that is going to, so if anyone knows uh, Pastor Ryan from Playas in Tijuana, Mexico, um, he has been called out to Peru, and he has a whole other ministry that is taking place out there. It's a discipleship ministry, and he's going into a more remote area along the Amazon. And um, so, you know, just connecting with um, certain people and uh, people, families that are being called out, because Ryan has a family and kids that he's going to be taking with him, um, to Peru to go minister out there. And he just feels a calling, and so he's just being obedient to that calling. Uh, a great encouragement. Um, one of the things that um, was emphasized is to make sure that we understand that, that, uh, that we need to take care of our mission field here. Um, <clears throat> in fact, in, in Acts chapter 1, the mandate is pretty... Clear. It's pretty specific, as it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which our Jerusalem is, is here. So this is our Jerusalem. Riverside is our Jerusalem. You could say the surrounding area is our Jerusalem. We need to, we need to be active and deliberate and go out and reach out. There's many there are many people around us who are lost and going to hell, and they need someone to bring the gospel to them that they may be able to choose. Um, and hopefully, of course, we, we desire that they would choose life, that they would choose a bun, uh, eternal life in Jesus Christ. But the mandate is this, our Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the end of the earth, right? If we are not ministering to and serving faithfully um, to what the Lord's entrusted to us here, locally, then we have no business going to the ends of the earth. And so that's, that's where the church has to demonstrate its faithfulness here. And as we demonstrate our faithfulness here, this actually is the training ground for being able to do the very same thing, whether it be in Ensenada, whether it be uh, in a disaster-stricken uh, area, in the U.S., or it would be in Trujillo, in Guatemala, in Colombia, um, in Uganda, Kenya, um, the Republic of Georgia, or wherever else um, we'd, we'd like to go and minister. And so that is just something that was consistent in meeting up with um, these various pastors. And, and then also the messages that, that were uh, taught at the missions conference. So then that was Friday and Saturday. 
And then starting Monday evening is the International uh, Pastors and Leaders Conference. And that's also at Golden Springs. And many of those pastors that had come in for the missions conference stuck around. And so they just went to that. And so we got to connect with them a little bit more. And so it's been a good time. The spirit was absolutely moving, has been moving the last few days. Um, tonight, Pastor Don McClure is teaching. And um, so the team from Refuge came back. And, uh, but we, we've had Don McClure here. But uh, we're going to pray for them as well because, like I said, the, the Spirit has been ministering in amazing ways there these last few days. And that's what we pray for, right? We pray for a stirring of the Spirit that there would be, um, like Holland, Holland led worship all by himself. He had, um, <clears throat> he had drums on the back, on his back that he was carrying, guitar, and a sim. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> But he did have the drums, which he was, um, his, I don't know what that's called, but the big one right there. <laughs> What's it called? Bass drum. Bass drum. Yeah. He had that and playing his guitar and man, it sounded like there was a whole band, huh? It's like, it was awesome. But uh, he was talking about how um, just there's, there's a, a need of the Holy Spirit's outpouring and a fresh work to begin and um, and he can start at any time but we need to be willing for that to happen we need to be um, open instruments we need to be ready for that and then prepared to walk that out right not just to receive like we can desire that but if we're not willing to walk that out then uh then really we're not ready. So uh, we can be equipped, but not willing. And we ought to be willing. So um, it's been a great time. So let's pray for them because right now they're going into their evening session with Don McClure. So let's pray for them and then we'll get into our study. Pray for that too. Father, we thank you, Lord. Uh, Lord, for all that you we're doing with all the pastors and leaders, everyone really who was willing to go. Lord, there were many people, teams, Lord, from various churches that it was just such a blessing to see and to reunite with and to encourage each other. Uh, Lord, as we were in fellowship, I ask, Lord, that your spirit would continue to move and do a wonderful work there, that all the pastors and the leaders that were there would be refreshed tonight, that you would speak through our friend, uh, Pastor Don McClure, and in uh, Lord, that he would be your mouthpiece, Lord, and even as he speaks, Lord, that you would minister to each individual who is there, that uh, they would be attentive to what you have to say to the church. As we pray for our time tonight in your word, as we go into Esther chapter 4, Father, we continue a lesson in your providence, how it is that Lord, even when things seem to be going sideways, Lord, you are still in control. And for us, we need to learn how to discern um, what to do at what time. And, and Lord, to just simply know that you are moving and what you desire is that we just trust in you, that we have faith in you. And Lord, that... We would also, Lord, not take whatever it is that you have entrusted to us for granted, that we would not take that lightly, but whatever it is that you've handed to us to be a steward of, Lord, that is serving within the church, ministering to others, Lord, that we would know that we are in that place for such a time as this. And so help us to do it. Lord, with great passion and zeal, with a love for you and sacrificially. And so we commit this time of study into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so Esther chapter 4. <clears throat> we know continuing from the last chapter that Susa uh, was thrown into a state of confusion. 
Uh, Haman thought that he was done having to deal with the Jews, especially the troublemaker, Mordecai, right? He thought he was finished with them. You remember that um, all of this had started actually with Mordecai. Um, he refused to bow down to pay homage uh, to Haman. And it was because of that that we now find ourselves in this place. Um, the Jews also, by the way, thought that they were finished. Because now it's been, the word has been spread out throughout the whole kingdom, all 127 provinces. And now they thought that they were, they were done, that they were finished. I don't know of one person who has experienced a moment, uh, who hasn't experienced a moment of, of despondency. That is experience a moment, at least just a moment of not having any hope in some way, shape, or form. As if the moment in the moment, it can't be changed. It's unbearable. The weight of it is too much. Have you ever experienced that? I have. I've, I've experienced just a state of, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't, I don't see any way out of the present situation. And it's not that that's true. I'm just telling you that I think what, what everyone at some point has experienced is that very thing. Like, I... I I, I see no way out. This is too much for me. And this isn't going to end well. But you know, it's in those moments that a follower of Jesus Christ must learn to trust in him. Especially during those times. To cling to the Lord. To go to him. To ask him for wisdom. To be reminded of scripture. Knowing that for him, nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible. You know, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and this would be good to memorize, at least know it well enough to be reminded of it when you find yourself in a way, you're going in the wrong direction, you find yourself in trouble. Reminded of this, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Acknowledge Him, trust in Him, look to Him. Jeremiah thirty two twenty seven says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? You remember who God is. You remember his power, his authority, how much he loves you. That he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He walks with you. He is your strength. He is your refuge. He's everything that you need him to be. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. You know, again, we're continuing this the study of the book of Esther and, and we are reminded as we go through of God's providence. That's, that is what the, the theme is of the entire book of Esther. So we leave off with Susa thrown into, a con, into confusion. And then that feeling, that whole condition, that whole state of mind and heart continues on as we go into chapter 4. And verse 1 says, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the, day, the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting. And many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. You know, as we consider Mordecai, we remember that he was a man of integrity, a man who was also... Uh, 
of strong convictions. And it was because of Mordecai that Haman thought of doing this to the Jews. Uh, the thought would not have pro probably crossed uh, Haman's mind unless Mordecai refused to bow down and pay homage to Haman. And so it was because of those convictions, it, be, it was because of that integrity that Mordecai had that they found themselves in this place. And yet, as we consider Mordecai, we consider what, how he responded to the news of this edict that had been spread out and had been declared throughout the whole of the kingdom. We see how it is that he is not remorseful for having stood on those convictions of not having bowed down or paid homage to Haman. He didn't go back on those convictions. He wasn't remorseful for them. But we do see how he was filled with sorrow. He was filled with anguish because now this edict had been signed, sealed, and it had been spread out throughout the whole kingdom. And the lives of all of the Jews now hung in the balance. They were about to be executed. And so what does Mordecai do? I know the, the name of God is not mentioned in the entire book of Esther. And yet this is the response that Mordecai had. He tore his clothes, put ashes on his head, and he dressed himself in sackcloth. And then he went out into the middle of the city, and he lamented, he cried out loudly, it's an open display of grief. No mention of the name of God, and yet who is he crying out to? Who is he crying out to? I have no doubt that he was crying out to God. Because Mordecai knew that there was only one that could deliver them from such a predicament. He knew that God is able to feed his people when there was no food. Deliver his people from a great and powerful king. He was able to part the Red Sea, provide manna from heaven, water from a rock, he was able to preserve their clothes and protect them from their enemies. Now, even though God's name is not mentioned, certainly, I don't believe that they had entirely forgotten him. I certainly do not believe that Mordecai had forgotten him. Mordecai's refusal to bow down to Haman was not out of personal pride. It wasn't because he just thought there's no way I'm going to bow down to this man, even though we know his genealogy, right? We know the line of people that Haman had come from, an Amalekite. But I think it was more than that. I strongly believe it was because he refused to bow down to anyone but his God. That is it. Well, each province got the word, and again, the capital was thrown into confusion. Now, everyone is, is uh, really sorrow, filled with sorrow. They go into this time of fasting, weeping, crying out, putting on sackcloth. And this was throughout the whole kingdom. All of the Jews were... We're in the state of, of mourning. Verse 4 says, When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn 
what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him. And the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. So word got to Esther of what was happening with Mordecai. How it is that he had gone into um, just the middle of the city in this state. In a state of mourning, fasting and weeping, dressed in sackcloth and ashes. And she at this point, there's, there's no, nothing that would tell us that she knew that the edict, even that it had been written and that it had gone out throughout the whole kingdom, there's nothing that implies that she knew any of that. She's kind of confused. Why it was that, that Mordecai was doing this. In fact, she sent some clothes to him in order for him to change out of these, you know, this, this sackcloth and to put on these clothes. He didn't know why he was filled with sorrow. But she was anxious. She was worried. Everyone had heard, but Esther had not. And she didn't understand why. So when Hatha came to Mordecai, and offered him these clothes. He refused them. And then he commenced to tell Hathak exactly why it was that he was in this state of grief. In this state of sorrow. He told Hathak, go tell Esther what has happened and why it is that we're doing this. Telling, making sure that he told Esther, that, that Haman had greased the skids, you could say, by offering this bribe, and the king had received this bribe, and written this order, and it had gone throughout the whole kingdom, having been sealed by the king himself. It couldn't, they, he couldn't turn back. He couldn't reverse that edict. And so Hathak knew, Mordecai knew, and pretty soon Esther would know. But she didn't know at this point. Verse 8 says, Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction. That he might show it to Esther and explain it to her. And command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. This is, um, we're going to see that this is one of two requests that Mordecai sent. Really, they were commands that came to Esther through Hathik, uh, which was a servant of the king, a eunuch who had been assigned to Esther to care for her. And so in this first request or command that Mordecai sent back to Esther, he also sent back to her a copy of the written decree issued in Susa, for their destruction, for the destruction of the Jews. It explained everything. You could say that he jotted down some notes for Hathik to take back to Esther to make sure that she understood exactly what was happening. And with that explanation, Mordecai was telling Esther, you need to go back to beg his favor, that is the king's favor, and plead with him on behalf of your people. Oh. Mordecai is now asking Esther to go before the king. I mean, up to this point, we, we know as we've studied this, this book that up to this point, the king didn't even know that Esther was a Jew. Didn't even know. And now Mordecai is telling Esther, go, talk to the king. Plead on our behalf. Intercede. Step in. But Esther knew just as well as Mordecai knew that any edict, any decree that is made by the king and sealed at that point 
There was no way that it could be turned back. It could be retracted. It was impossible. It was irrevocable. But Mordecai, talk about discerning providence. Because at this point, I reminded you of just a few of the things that the Israelites had had experienced under the leading and protection and deliverance of God from Pharaoh. And so knowing his God, I, I believe that is why he had this discernment. This is the providence of God. This is exactly how it is that he moves on behalf of his people. Somehow you could say that Mordecai knew that Esther was queen for a reason. There's a reason why you are in the place that you are right now. He believed more than ever before in that moment that the reason why she was queen is because she was to intercede on behalf of her own people. But initially Esther refused. Verse 10. So then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So Esther sent Hathak back to Mordecai. After she had been commanded through Hathak by the word of Mordecai to go intercede on behalf of the Jews. Now Esther sends word, sends word back telling him that it is, it, you know, Mordecai, it's common knowledge. Has common knowledge that without being called, you know that you cannot go into the king's inner court because the law says this anyone who goes in shall die unless the golden scepter is extended to them. But as far as, far as Esther is concerned, I have not been called, I haven't even seen him the last 30 days. Esther, at this point, she was considering herself, right? This kind of lesson for us, right? When we're placed in, into situations and positions where we are trying to preserve ourselves, this is our basic instinct, and that is to protect ourselves. And this is what Esther was doing. Esther, at this point, was fearing for her own life. Maybe uh, Esther remembered how Vashti had been banished because of her refusal to do what the king had commanded her to do. And she wasn't about to follow in her footsteps because she not only would, not, not only would she be banished, but she would be put to death if the king did not extend to her the golden scepter as she came unannounced and uninvited into the king's presence. Perhaps she's remembering that. You know, there are times when we remember the consequences that someone else has experienced because of their actions, and then it strikes fear in our own heart to do the very same thing. No, we don't want to experience it that. I saw how it was that they dealt with what they dealt with. You know, when it comes to ministry, um, <clears throat> I know that there are people who are reluctant. If you're around ministry people, right? <laughs> you experience ministry for a while and you realize, oh, it's a little bit harder than what I thought. And then you see someone else having experienced something and then you base your decisions upon that and not really just simply being faithful to what God's called you to do. I know of people that 
won't go through the book of Job because they're in fear that they might experience everything that Job experienced. <laughs> like literally. Don't want to go through the... You're going through the, a, a Bible study in the book of Job? Yeah, count me out. Not going to sign up. That to me sounds more like superstition, right? We talked about that on, on Sunday a little bit. But you can't base your faithfulness upon the experience of someone else. We are, we are to be faithful ourselves to what God's called us to do, period. That's it. But Esther was considering some things. She, she didn't want to die. Who wants to die? Esther hadn't seen her husband for the past 30 days. He is the king. She had not been called in to see him. And this is what she sent word back to Mordecai telling him. I know you're telling me to go in and talk to him. But what she's implying by that <clears throat> is, you know the law. Anyone goes in unannounced and uninvited is going to be put to death unless the golden scepter is extended to them. I haven't been called for the last 30 days. Maybe she was telling him, maybe the time's coming up here pretty soon when I'll be called to go in there. No, the time is now. Time is of the essence. Something that perhaps we ought to consider is the bigger picture. When we oftentimes see things like Esther was in the moment, only considering our own welfare, when there's more at hand, there's a bigger picture. You see, compromises are easy when we are filled with fear. We can justify them. Fear paralyzes someone. And so, in that moment, I mean, you can relate, right? Have you not been, like, fearful in a situation like I am in this moment? Like, you don't blame me for, like, not wanting to do that, right? Oh, no, 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 I totally understand you're justified in not going in. I wouldn't do that. Oh, see, I'm, I'm good then. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go in. No, compromises are easy when we're filled with fear. Why? Because we want to preserve ourselves at the expense, sometimes even of others. Mordecai was seeing things differently, though. You see... He loved his beloved daughter, having raised her as his own. He knew that she was in the place she was for a reason, though. Again, he saw things com like completely different. You don't think he loved her? He, he was checking upon her daily when she was being prepped to go before the king someday. For 12 months, he would go daily and check in on her. He raised her as his own. He loved her. And yet he saw something more than Esther saw. I think of the story of Joseph. And how it was that Joseph's brothers didn't understand what had taken place. Just as Esther was not in the moment understanding what was really happening. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 15, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Signed, your brothers. I mean, dad. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, 
to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph knew exactly why it was that he went through what he did. He, he saw the bigger picture. He knew why he was sold into slavery by his brothers, why he was put into prison for no reason whatsoever, really for his integrity. Similar to what's happening with Mordecai and the Jews. And how with Joseph, how it was that God had providentially placed him in the position he was in to ensure that his family was provided for during this famine and surviving it. He knew this. He, he knew that completely. Having brought the family to a place where there was, there was plenty. And he was second in command next to Pharaoh. He was able to take care of them. And he said, am I in the place of God? Hey, brothers, I know exactly why things worked out the way they did. I mean, you can see it clearly. Joseph understood his sacrifices, the ones that he experienced. And now as we see with Esther, she had to learn this very thing. She had to come to an understanding of why it was that she was in the place that she was. But she sent word back to Mordecai explaining to him why it was that she couldn't go tell the king exactly what was going on for fear of her own life. So go back to Mordecai, Hathic, and explain this to Mordecai. Perhaps he doesn't remember this, doesn't understand the, the law of the land, and, uh, and I can't do it. Verse 12, though. And they told Mordecai that Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Oh, what a response. Everyone, um, I'm sure probably here, has heard to some extent, and sisters, you've gone through the study, you know the book of Esther. Just the, these words that Mordecai sent back to Esther. Something that we're very familiar with, and it's, these have been encouraging words. Convicting words, challenging words, Right? This was Mordecai's response to Esther's initial refusal. It was plainly spoken. Few words. Mordecai, in those words, warned Esther that just because she was in the palace and was the king's wife, that she would not be covered and protected because this edict, this decree, had to do with all of the Jews. She would not be safe herself. She was not exempt. Because once the king finds out, Esther, that you're a Jew, you will be killed along with all of the others because he has mandated that. It's his command. And so Mordecai minced no words. He said it plainly, clearly. You think you're going to escape? You're not going to escape this. Again, we're reminded of Mordecai's conviction and his insight also. Yes, he loved Esther. He clearly, in this moment, perceived that Esther was placed there to deliver them from such a wicked scheme. But Mordecai also, because he knew his God, because he knows that if she did not step up and do what he knew she needed to do, that deliverance would come from somewhere else. 
The question is, why would Mordecai think such a thing? We need to ask that question. Why is it that he just didn't let it go? He didn't understand, hey, listen, we'll save ourselves some other way. Let's escape. Let's run. We have a little bit of time. He didn't do that. What would lead him to believe that there was any chance of them getting out of this? Again, I believe it's because Mordecai was thinking of his God's faithfulness and how he has delivered them out of much worse predicaments, situations that seem to be impossible. He looked back over the course of their history. That's why it's important to have these memorial stones. To think back at the things that God has done, his faithfulness. And then allow those things to encourage us in the moment. Thinking about his promises, his word, how he is with us. He's he's with us and he's going through with us also to the end of the age. And he loves us with an everlasting love. When you see God's hand and know his character, you tend to have this type of faith. Hmm. It's kind of familiar, right? So it's, it's when you're, you're in these um, situations that seem impossible, that at some point when, you, when you've had God work, help you through them, like many times before, you're in this situation again, you're like, hmm. I wonder how God's going to move. I just know he's going to move. I know he's going to help me get through this. I wonder how. I just see this in in Mordecai and what he's, how he's um, sending word to Esther. It's like, Esther, I, I see this clearly. I see how it is that you have providentially been placed in this position for such a time as this. He had this faith in God that knows how he moves, how he is faithful, how he will not allow his people to be completely extinguished. He wasn't about to allow that. You see in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in all the family and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so if all the families of the earth shall be blessed through the people of Abram, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way through to that very day. Then certainly he'll still show himself strong on their behalf. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, as the Lord had told Moses, so Moses was telling all the people, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 38, it says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, 
and in dens and caves of the earth. This was not of their own strength. It's not because of anything other than their faith in God. That is why they endured. That is why it is that we can trust in the Lord. He is faithful. His character is consistent through Scripture. This is the God that Mordecai knew. And this is why Mordecai knew that deliverance was coming. And if Esther kept silent, it would come from somewhere else. But he said, rest assured, you and your father's house will, will, will perish. Mordecai knew that God's people overall would be preserved, but many there in the kingdom of Persia would perish, including himself, Esther, and all of her people. Remember that there was a remnant that had gone back to Jerusalem. So they were not there. So Mordecai knew, okay, well, if you don't rise up, there's going to be a deliverer for someone from somewhere else. But who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This was the time when Esther needed to consider the bigger picture. Kind of take a step back. Take her eyes off herself. And put them on Mordecai's God. Have his insight, his perception of what is going on. To realize that perhaps God had orchestrated things in such a way that her selection was God's selection to be queen. That she would be the instrument used by God to deliver her people from this wicked scheme. You know, start thinking here, Esther. Remember the favor that you have been shown. Out of all of those young women, you were the one that was selected. You found favor in the eunuch that was assigned to you that to take care of the harem. You were given favor in his eyes. You were given favor in the eyes of all of the servants. Then you were given favor in the eyes of the king immediately. The, the king fell in love with you. You were the one that was selected. You think that was all by coincidence? <laughs> Sometimes we think it's, it's because we're so good. Right? Well, I'm the obvious choice. Or it's for ourselves or because of us. It's just, it's just man, it's just for, for me. No, just remember that, that God gives us favor and he provides us with opportunities but it's to serve a, a, a big God to bring him glory. There's a bigger picture. And sometimes we lose that focus. We do. It's easy for us to lose that focus. And when we think about ourselves and we start making plans that would really benefit ourselves. And, and we don't think of others. We don't think about the bigger picture. Well, it's time for Esther to see the bigger picture. God, in his foreknowledge, arranged Esther, arranged for Esther to be in the position that she was in. Esther was saying, not me, when it was clear to Mordecai that being certain that Esther was the one who needed to go to the king for the Jews to be spared should have been saying, it is me. Here, I, here am I, send me, is really how Mordecai wanted her to respond, just as Isaiah did when God called so it is that Esther should have been responding in the same way. Who, whom shall I send? Here am I, send me. Too many people respond to their roles in the same way as Esther, though. Esther does so. When each person is supposed to be faithful in whatever role he's or she is placed in, just be faithful. It is God who has the power and authority to raise 
an exiled orphan who is a Jew to the position of queen in order to deliver his people. Is that, is that too far-fetched? Interesting how those types of things are arranged. It's like, wow, that's amazing. That just testifies of the greatness of our God. Because of his foreknowledge, he's able to do these things. Time is not a problem for him. Nothing is, is an issue for him at all. Esther just had to perceive this and understand that she needed to act to see God's hand move. If she were to just participate, she would be used in that place to do this very thing. We know because we know the story as it continues on, right? Hey, for you and I, let's just be faithful to whatever God has called us to. Let's just be faithful. Let's see the bigger picture. Sometimes we just get so narrowly focused and it's just about, about us in the moment. It's like, take a step back. Act for his glory, for the benefit of his people, according to the word of God, as his spirit guides you with understanding. Remember, men, as we've gone through our study, the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. So follow the Holy Spirit. Trust in him. And he'll walk you through these difficult moments. James 1.5 says that if we lack wisdom, just ask and he'll give us without reproach whatever we need. If we don't doubt. This is what I see Mordecai doing. And Esther had to come to the realization that yes, this is indeed what God has called me to do. This is what he has done. And so Esther replied. Verse 15. It says, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Remember that it was up to this point that Esther, she was obeying Mordecai. Don't tell him that you're a Jew. Okay, I won't. Go do this. Okay, I will. And then she had this, this exchange with him for some time. But, but again, Esther was this young lady who honored this relationship with Mordecai. And once she thought this through, knowing Mordecai's love for her, she said, okay. Go gather everyone. Hold a fast on my behalf for three days. This is what we have here is just further evidence that although God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther, there's plenty of evidence that he is relied upon by them. Why go into a three-day fast? I mean, what for? So you just have clarity of mind? Going in to see the king? What's that for? No, no, no. Remember, these are God's people. This seems to imply that they relied upon God, and so they were, they were having a fast. They were all calling out to him. Esther conceded to Mordecai and sent word to him to gather all of the Jews in Susa to hold his fast on her behalf for these three days. And then she and the ladies that attended to her would do the same thing. We'll do the same. You do that, Mordecai? And all the Jews, and we'll do the same. And then Esther agreed. After that, I'll go see the king. I'll go see the king, even though it's against the law. <clears throat> and if I perish, I perish. These convictions 
This integrity is contagious. Mordecai is passing this along to Esther. And Esther, at this point, she responded. It's a, a young woman that maybe she could have spared herself. I, I don't know. Because at this point, we, we don't know that Haman knew that she was a Jew. She could have at this point just, hey, you know what, Mordecai? Thank you for all that you've done for me. I'm going to seek the Lord on your behalf. But as for me, look, look where I'm at. <laughs> you don't think that you think this is for nothing? You think the Lord just didn't want to bless me? Bring me into this place. Maybe I'm here to serve the king in this way for, for, for such a time as this. We can justify it, like all kinds of things. But it wasn't. I love this about Esther. Esther in this moment, oh, what a young lady. She at this moment said, even though we know it's against the law, I'm going to go in. I get it. Things just clicked in, in her mind and in her heart. And she said, if I perish, I perish. I will do the right thing. I will stand in the gap. I will intercede on behalf of my people. There are certain strongholds considering the time of fasting that they were giving themselves to. We, are, we know that there are certain strongholds that can only be broken by prayer and Fasting, as it says in Matthew 17, 21. And so this is not something new, not something that was just invented in the New Testament. It's something that had been taking place for thousands of years. And so this was such a difficult situation that they called a fast. Let's fast for three days. And then Esther agreed, I'll go to the king. After those three days, I'll go to the king. I'm ready to die, if necessary. But I will beg and plead on behalf of my people. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther was willing at that moment to do whatever was necessary. She wasn't certain about what was going to happen. So this was a step of faith. But she was willing to do whatever was necessary, even if it cost her life. This is the conviction that Mordecai had. In fact, he went all the way to the king's gate. Remember that? He's covered in sackcloth and ashes, fasting, crying out. I mean, even that was not something that was favorable in the kingdom. And now she was willing to do whatever was necessary, even if it cost her her life. This conviction was passed along. This integrity, this, this person that Mordecai had raised up. Esther was learning how to have the same good, godly convictions. Learning to act in spite of fear. And when this is experienced personally, faith is strengthened, as we will see. You see, this is just the beginning of Esther uh, expressing that integrity and conviction and strength. This, was, this is just the beginning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 It says, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. 
So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. It was time for Esther to acknowledge who she was and be willing to lay down her life on behalf of her people. For God has not given her a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You know, Jesus, as I read in Matthew chapter 10, had told this to his disciples, knowing that many would eventually be martyred for their faith. But he told them not to pull back on their faith, not to pull back on their godly convictions, but to advance even at the cost of their lives. To fear no one except God. The Apostle Paul knew this very well. He wrote to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In Christ it's always a win-win. Let us advance the gospel, not fearing any man, even if it costs us our life. It's a story that we were just told, in fact, of um, a ministry that's taking place in the Republic of Georgia. There are women that uh, are come into the Republic of Georgia and, and with a, in Christian believers from Iran. They, so they come in from Iran and, and they go and they know where to go. And they'll take their head covering off when they come in and they'll spend all day. They, they start early in the morning. They, they just want to go through the word of God. They just want to go through the word. And they, we're, we're told that they'll start asking questions at 7 o'clock in the morning and 10 o'clock at night. They're still wanting to hear. Please tell us about God's word. Tell us. And in fact, this, this young lady, she came in and she said, I want to be baptized. I've, I've surrendered my life to the Lord, and I want to be baptized. And <clears throat> they were thinking that she wouldn't want to, like, full submersion in the water. But no, she went in. She was fully submerged in the water, came out. It was time for her to leave, and, and she wrapped herself up. She covered herself, and she left. For them, they are willing to die for their faith because one of the ladies that is there to minister to them asked, you know, how is your day? And she said, you know, if my family were to find out where I, I am at, they would kill me. She said, how's your day going? For them... The reality of death, of persecution, is known very well. For us, we don't know that. We cry about, you know, whether it's too hot or too cold in here, whether it's raining or it's too windy, or, you know, we don't feel we have a headache, you know, I, I don't know. And here are these people who are hungry for the word. And in fact, we had missionaries that, that say, you know, what's happening here, like wherever they're from. We pray that it happens here for you guys. Isn't that interesting? What's troubling you? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What's holding you back from realizing or seeing the bigger picture like Mordecai desired Esther to see? Being willing to do exactly what she said. Hey, listen, I know it's against the law, but I'll do it. And if I perish, I perish. Listen, don't take your role in the body of Christ, the church, for granted or take it lightly. You are where you are for such a time as this. Live in a constant state of sacrifice. Being willing to, willing to give yourself, even if it means losing your life for the sake of what God has called you to do. In fact, we're called to lose our life, aren't we? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, 
and follow me, says the Lord. So aren't we called to lose our lives daily for the sake of the Lord? So let's just be faithful to him. After all, Romans 12:1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's pray. Father, we <clears throat> do desire to express our love for you in the same way. We're to live each day considering your glory and your kingdom, the advancement of your gospel above it all. Lord, that we would go to any lengths necessary to advance the gospel, to bless you. Lord, may we be found faithful to you in doing your work until you, you take us home to be with you. So, Father, strengthen us. Fill us with your spirit. Forgive us if we've fallen short of that. If we haven't considered you above all, your glory. May we be what Esther has come to be. Lord, that person who's willing to do whatever is necessary to do what is right, to do your will. And so, Lord, stir us up. Go before us. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. And bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.